Kelly and Kelly. A note before we get started. We recorded this season of This Sounds Serious in 2019 and have been editing it through our self-isolation. All of us would like to thank you for listening during these difficult times. Please stay safe and enjoy the show. From CastBox, you're listening to This Sounds Serious. My name is Gwen Radford. Welcome to our third season of True Crime Documentaries. As usual, we're devoting the entire season to one story told in eight parts. This season is about a con man, one of the most manipulative criminals I have ever encountered, a man whose trail of deceit and destruction crossed two continents and spanned over 30 years, a man who convinced hundreds of people to place their trust in him before he robbed them of everything, until, in a final display of greed and heartlessness, pulled off a con that shook all of Hollywood. And like every season of this sound serious, it begins with a call to 911. 911, what's your emergency? Dad, stay calm. Yeah, hello? Hello, 911? Hello? Hi, uh, my dad is having a heart attack. Um, uh, we need an ambulance. Okay, where are you? Uh, uh, we're at Studio City Movie Theater on, on Ventura in Sherman Oaks. Okay. I've, I've dispatched an ambulance. It is on the way. They're, they're sending an ambulance. Tell them to send two. Okay, two? Okay, did you get that? He needs two ambulances? This is a 911 call placed to Los Angeles County Emergency Services on December 12th, 1991. Hello. What is, what is your name, sir? Uh, my name is Bennett. The caller, Bennett Gray, is the son of Jack Gray Jr., an 80-year-old Hollywood executive who has just suffered a heart attack in the lobby of a movie theater. Sir, stay with me here. What's happening? He just punched a hole through a poster. Okay. If you've heard the show before, you know that I'm obsessed with 911 calls. Listening to a 911 call transports you right into the center of a crisis. The two minutes, five minutes, ten minutes somebody spends on the phone with 911 could be the most dramatic moments of their life. Can you please just hurry up? Is the ambulance going to be here soon? Please. Bennett, the ambulance is on its way, okay? Just keep calm. And this one, from the lobby of a movie theater, is truly one of the most fascinating calls I've ever encountered. What's happening on the call is that the victim, Jack Ray Jr., has just suffered a heart attack, but is refusing to calm down going on a kind of mini rampage in the lobby. Is he sitting down now? No, he's got, he's got to hold some red vines and he's whipping people with them, like little licorice. Take the licorice away from your father. The call is made even more chaotic, and this is important, because it's taking place during an industry screening for a movie called Grand Casino. A studio executive having a heart attack at a movie premiere is intriguing, sure. But once I started looking into why he had it and who caused it, that's what made me want to tell this season's story. Throughout the call, Jack Ray Jr. repeatedly mentions the name Kirk Todd. Where is Kirk Todd? Find me Kirk Todd. I'm going to kill Kirk Todd. yelling for Kirk Todd. Okay, is Kirk Todd there? No, no, he's not here. That's the problem. Kirk, no one knows where he is. That's the deal. Okay, who is Kirk Todd? That's a great question. Who is Kirk Todd? Kirk Todd is a sociopath. They're calling him TV's man with the Midas touch. Uh, he caused my family extreme heartache. He seemed so kind at first. When I saw him, I said, 
Who is this kid? I thought he was the only honest man in all of Hollywood. There he is now, Mr. Todd. Kirk Todd himself. I never thought he'd ruin my life. On this season of This Sounds Serious, I'm uncovering the story behind one of the most prolific con artists in American history. A psychopath. A monster. Like actual evil. Kirk Todd. It's This Sounds Serious, The Case of Grand Casino, a CastBox original. I think he's actually an evil person, like actual evil. Like if you can accept that evil is a concept that can actually be real, he's it. Kirk Todd is a con artist who ran scams across the U.S. and around the world for more than two decades. And his victims are still emerging to this day. You know, they say, con me once, shame on you. But if you con me twice or three, con me twice. He conned me twice. Two times is what he conned me. Between the late 60s and the early 90s, he defrauded dozens, if not hundreds, of people. Real people with families and mortgages, some of whom lost their entire life savings. He said once that investment came through, I, was going, I wasn't going to work in that mine no more. Well, guess what? The money never came in. I'm still working the mines, and, and now in an even deeper one. The events that led to the 911 call are central to the story, and there are some details you're going to want to hear. But before we get there, it's important to know more about Kirk Todd and his lifetime of crime. See, Kirk Todd didn't start off as Kirk Todd. He was born Jeremy Weaver in the early 50s in Madison, Wisconsin. That's Janice Russell. She's a journalist who has profiled several con artists for various magazines. I love con artists. I love how they make everyone else sound so stupid. You talk to a victim and you say, you just met this guy. Why did you give him your entire life savings? And all they can say is, I don't know, you had to be there. According to Janice, Jeremy Weaver had a troubled childhood. His parents divorced when he was eight, and then he fell in with the wrong crowd. Before he was a con man, Jeremy Weaver was a real con boy. You know, had a whole crew of little con boys that he ran with. They would run card games in their neighborhood, running three-card Monty, four-card Monty. They got enough boys together, even up to ten-card Monty. In the late 60s, still a teenager, Jeremy ran away to San Francisco. That's when he seems to have made the decision that being a con man is what he wanted to do with his life. And while Jeremy was the right age to be part of the free love and drug scene, Janice says he saw the hippies as a bunch of marks. He used to run a scam called the Acid Trip. He'd find a group of hippies tripping on LSD, and then he'd literally trip over them. He'd fall down and tell them they had to cover his medical expenses. Uh, They probably thought they were talking to a goblin who was demanding some crystals and goat skeletons, but all the while he was making money. As the hippie movement came to an end, Jeremy relocated again. Without graduating high school or even taking the SATs, Jeremy got into Princeton University, an Ivy League school. He forged transcripts and wrote an essay about his life growing up in Montana, raising buffaloes and studying quantum physics, none of which was true. I mean, I don't think that's true of anyone's life. At Princeton, he began using an alias, Kenny Trammell. He spent two years studying philosophy and joined one of the university's a cappella groups, the Fiefenstocks. Hall. The pipes, we really sing it all. 
Celtic jigs and sing along. I'm sorry, are you going to be uh, altering my voice at all uh, for the program or not? I mean, the hope is that you won't. <laughs> I'm, I'm quite proud of my dulcet tones. Von Dubouchet was a member of the Fifenstocks with Jeremy, now known to them as Kenny. I certainly remember Kenny. According to Von, Jeremy, or Kenny's, most memorable contribution to the group was when he helped them out of a predicament. It started like this. Kirk landed a gig for the Fife and Stocks in 1973, opening for the Allman Brothers at a nightclub in New York. We were pinching ourselves. We really couldn't believe it. Kenny landed us this incredible gig. The Allman Brothers. We didn't know their music, but we certainly knew the name. I mean, not the most likely musical pairing. On one side, a gritty southern rock band, and on the other, these prissy rich boys in orange turtlenecks which wasn't even their uniform. They just all accidentally wore that to the show. But the gig did not go well. I think when we hit the stage, well, the nerves got the better of us. We just didn't bring our A game, and more our A-flat game. (laughs) Regardlessly, it was a horrible experience. I mean, we were uh, booed off the stage, soaked in beer, uh, pelted with batteries. The group was humiliated by the events of that night and vowed never to speak of it again. But someone was recording their performance, and there's a tape of the whole thing. And a few months later, this someone contacted the group anonymously and threatened to release the tape to the campus radio station if he wasn't paid $10,000. So the group paid off the anonymous blackmailer, who was, of course, Jeremy Weaver. Jeremy orchestrated the whole thing, from setting up the gig to blackmailing the group. He even acted as the go-between when the group came up with the money. So Kenny took the money and made the swap. And nobody ever heard that tape. The tape that I sent you. You're not planning on playing that on your podcast, are you? It was around this time that Jeremy Weaver first landed on the FBI's radar. Uh, yeah, yeah, I'm Agent Bruce Warren from the Federal Bureau of Investigation Fraud Unit. I was a member of the team that uh, tracked down Mr. Weaver. Agent Warren says the pattern that starts to emerge with most con artists is that they arrive in a new place with a new identity, and at first people are very impressed. But eventually the act wears thin. The real reason Mr. Weaver had to leave Princeton is because people started catching on to his game, realizing his stories didn't add up. I mean, these are some smart people here. I mean, of course they're not as smart as Harvard. (laughs) Definitely not even Yale. But these are some of the third smartest people in the country. After Princeton, he heads to New York, begins to call himself Carl Taylor. You're probably starting to notice a pattern. Kenny Trammell, Carl Taylor, Kirk Todd. When choosing an alias, Jeremy always uses the same initials, KT. He liked to wear monogram clothes with his initials on them. Felt it made him look successful. And this way, he didn't have to buy a new wardrobe when he adopted a new identity. It's pretty brilliant if it wasn't so stupid. In New York... 
Jeremy posed as a Wall Street money manager and attracted a long list of clients who willingly handed over their savings. I remember he was so charming. He'd say, let's start slow, maybe just a $5,000 investment. And, and then a week later, he says, you've already made a $2,000 profit. So then I gave him a bit more money, like, like $100,000. The only reason I don't feel like a complete moron is because there are so many other victims out there. I do feel like a complete moron. Are you, are you just trying to say to me there's people out there that don't feel like morons? I never really understood money. Like, I don't understand how, like, money. So when he said he was going to take care of it, I was relieved. I was like, great. And then he disappeared. And um, so did the money. I really wish I had that money. Between 1972 and 1978, Jeremy Kirk whatever you want to call him, really hit his stride as a con man. He ran a boiler room selling sketchy investments. He raked in cash with a phony charity, all while defrauding hundreds of investors in a Wall Street Ponzi scheme. Really crappy stuff. Just a garbage person. You know, what a dink. I estimate he stole between 26 and $26.2 million. Maybe 26.1. Somewhere in the range that I, that I just estimated. As authorities were catching on to Jeremy Weaver in New York, he disappeared. Nobody saw him again until 1978 when he reappeared and began living in Ibiza off the coast of Spain using the name Klaus Tycho. Although we did not become aware of him until much later, Klaus Tycho soon became a well-known figure of the discotheque scene. That's Bjorn Klisp, a former deputy with Interpol. It's Interpol, the International Criminal Police Organization, not Interpol, the band. We are criminal investigators, not a rock quartet from New York who are kind of like the Strokes, but maybe a little more gloomy. Jeremy spent the next few years in Europe partying with royalty and attending cultural events. And defrauding some of Europe's greatest museums and auction houses. He began selling counterfeit art. He made millions selling forged paintings and sculptures by some of the greatest artists of all time. fraud, Jeremy ran a bunch of other cons in his five years in Europe. He had a Spanish prisoner scam in Spain. He was also running this payola scam in these European discotheques, something involving Eurovision, I think. But eventually people started to catch on that he was not to be trusted. And then, once again, he was on the move. In 1982, Jeremy Weaver came back to America. For the first time under the name Kirk Todd. Kirk Todd. That's how we're going to refer to him from here on. That's the last identity he created. That's the name people have been calling him for nearly 40 years. So he moved to Hollywood, and for the next decade, it looked like he was making an honest living as a TV producer. He wasn't conning anyone. He wasn't committing fraud. He was finally legit, or so everyone thought. We now know his decade in Hollywood was one long con. Coming up after the break, I'll introduce you to Kirk Todd's biggest con. Kirk Todd made me believe I would be a movie star. The movie? 
Grand Casino. When was the first time that Kirk Todd landed on your radar? Oh, I was having lunch at Spago. <laughs> and uh, I noticed this guy. I couldn't help but notice him. He had this energy around him. So I asked the waiter, who is that guy? He said, that's Kirk Todd. He's a promising young TV producer here in Hollywood. That was a very helpful waiter. Here's what you need to know about Kirk Todd's time in Hollywood. For most of the 80s, he was a working producer an up-and-coming talent in the entertainment industry. The duo behind Emerald Motors looks to strike gold again with Pike Place, a teen drama that takes place in Seattle's Pike Place market. He even created a couple of TV shows. We'll go deeper into his TV career in future episodes. But in 1991, he got the opportunity to write and direct his first movie, Grand Casino. It was for this movie that Kirk discovered Isabel. I am Isabelle Broussard. I am an actress, or uh, I once was one. Isabelle was one of the stars of Grand Casino. She's also the person who put me onto this case. She emailed to tell me about the 911 call we heard at the beginning of the episode. I was there that night. It was crazy. Yes, yeah, we need you to sit down. Yeah. Give me that phone. You'll find Kirk Todd. You'll find him and you'll bring him to me. Yeah. And her story started out as the kind of thing most actresses can only dream about. In 1990, she was living and working in a bar in Cannes, in the south of France where they hold the Cannes Film Festival. And that's when Kirk walked in. Yeah. He was flashy. Big sunglasses, uh, long hair. He looked like, uh, what's, your, what's your man, MacGyver? She's describing Kirk Todd. He tells me I'm perfect or this movie he's making. He wants to take me to Hollywood. Huh? I've had these offers before. Come to America, be a movie star, make million dollars. I never believe any of them. They just want to sleep with you. But uh, Kirk, he was different. He had a way of making you trust him. Kirk was looking for someone to star in Grand Casino, which was scheduled to start shooting soon. And according to Isabel, the next day... They were on a plane to Hollywood. I feel so foolish. Of course it was too good to be true. If this sounds like a Hollywood fairy tale, it should. Because like a fairy tale, this kind of stuff just doesn't happen. People make huge sacrifices to move to Hollywood and struggle for years for the chance to star in a movie. People don't just get discovered out of nowhere, even 30 years ago. Isabel Broussard, screen test, Grand Casino. Okay. How about any acting? Done any acting? Uh, no, I'm a. Uh, uh, it's not important. Okay. Is it, uh, what is the sound that's coming out of your mouth? Is that your accent? Or? If casting a waitress with no acting experience seems suspect, her screen test is even more questionable. Turn to your left. Yeah, to your left, please. No. Your other left. Your left. This is footage from Isabel's screen test with the studio's casting department. Okay, let's get you holding a gun. Oh, jeez. Okay. Um, it's not a slippery gun either. Have you held a gun before? 
And I'm not going to pretend like I've seen a lot of screen tests, but Isabel seems like a disaster. Now, pretend she is. Zap, zap. We don't need the sound. Zap, zap, zap. zap. No, no. Oh, okay. Don't guns sound like Listening now, you wouldn't think this movie would go ahead with Isabel as the star, but it did. Kirk Todd made it happen. Because of the reputation he'd built as a TV producer and because of his ability to manipulate people, he got a studio to pay $5 million to make his movie his way. But here's the thing. What is so astonishing about this story, what made me want to share it with you is... There is no movie. Grand Casino was a fraud. It was Kirk Todd's greatest con. He did just enough to make people think he was making a film. Don't go anywhere. This is a gun. Stop looking at the camera. Sure, there were actors, a crew, locations. They ran trailers. Grand Casino in select cities. Christmas Day. And as we know, they held a preview screening. This season, on This Sounds Serious, it's the story of a con man who became a filmmaker, but never stopped being a con man. The lives he destroyed, the rumors that persist to this day, and the people who covered up the truth. Okay, who is Kirk Todd? Kirk Todd? He's only the guy that was supposed to make our movies and walked away with all the money. It's the story of Kirk Todd and the scam that fooled Hollywood. It's the story of Grand Casino. Excited about the movie? Uh, yeah, excitement for sure. A uh, little bit nervous as well. Who knows? Maybe I'll walk in the front door and just walk right out the back. <laughs> Next time on This Sounds Serious. I didn't know what was happening, so I, I just, I told the cameraman to keep rolling. Uh, we seem to have some trouble locating our director. <laughs> Testing, testing, testing. This is a Kirk Todd idea. When Kirk conned everyone, everything dried up for me. Kirk Todd, the future of Hollywood. Now remember that I sent it here first. How does something like this even happen? Those were, uh, those were dark times. We're all smart people. I'm on TV. 